Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 292. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. As always, I'm joined by one of the marvelous members of the Blueprint Live Online team. We are continuing our new series, the MCAT Blueprint series by Blueprint MCAT. It's a little play on words there. And we are going into the second year as a, a second year student. What what should you be doing to prep for the MCAT? So if you're a first year, second year, uh, even if you're beyond that, let's take a listen and, and see what you can be doing to help maximize your prep for the MCAT. George, welcome back to the MCAT Blueprint by Blueprint MCAT, uh, our little mini series here within the MCAT podcast. I, I'm excited. Last episode, we did first year, right? First mm-hmm. year undergrad. Here's what you should be thinking about. Mm-hmm. Second year, not a lot different, is there? Not a whole lot. I would say there's a couple of things that you can probably do to really set yourself up well for, you know, third and fourth year and for when you finally write that MCAT. But a lot of the approach is the same, you know, good habits, like we talked about last episode, good habits, good foundation, understanding your core concepts in your class, maybe getting a set of review books, comparing it with what you're seeing in class to making sure that like, okay, this is what I need for the MCAT. So I'm going to double down on this, make sure I understand it now. It'll pay off longer. Yeah. But the general approach is pretty similar. Yeah, let's let's talk about because a student now as a second year student or again as a non-traditional student kind of another year closer to when they're planning on taking the MCAT, they have some data now. They have mm-hmm. some data that says, "Ooh, I'm a good student. Ooh, I'm not procrastinating. Ooh, I have been building in these habits." Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's exactly the opposite. The opposite. Yeah, yeah. let's let's talk about uh, when a student, as as an incoming second year student, mm-hmm. should step back and look at this timeline and go, well, George said, right, four semesters. I should I should study, try to take it during that summer between second and third year, mm-hmm. so that I can focus on a lot of other things. That's really freaking me out. I don't think I can do it. I really struggled in my Gen Chem one class. I had to retake it, and mm-hmm. so that's throwing off my whole schedule. When is it okay for a student to go, my timeline is different? At any point, at any point in time, your timeline can be different. You know, I think to the point, I guess, if we circle back to what we said in the first episode, it's not like you have to write it in the summer of second to third year. It's not like you have to write it and you have to get into med school straight out of undergrad because a lot of people don't, right? It's, 
if you want to set it up in a way to maximize your chances of getting out, um, like finishing undergrad and going straight into med school, this is the timeline that you need. But as we mentioned earlier, and I'm going to say this right now, there's nothing wrong with taking a gap year. There's nothing wrong with being like a non-trad. I think it adds diversity. I think it adds, you know, versatility and kind of different perspectives to your medical school class, which a lot of people really value. On your applications even, there's usually a designated, a full essay that allows you to describe what you did in your gap year, right? And why you decided to do it and why you chose it. A big thing, I know we're kind of steering towards med school applications now, but a big thing that applications committees are looking for is really this idea of growth, dedication, and personal reflection, right? As a person who said, listen, I knew that my stats weren't where they needed to be. I knew that I was in a position that I needed to make some changes. I realized I had some weaknesses. I was procrastinating. I wasn't organized. And I needed to take a step back to make the changes I needed to get to where I wanted that says volumes to a med school applications committee because it says that, hey, you're someone who took a step back and had that introspection, that self-reflection to say, I have things I need to work on. And you showed the initiative that you went ahead, you made those changes and you succeeded in that. That matters a lot more than being someone who's like super burnt out and cramming for this exam. And maybe you miraculously got like a really good MCAT score and studying for three months, like not sleeping at all. <laughs> That's not a sustainable strategy in the long term. That's not a sustainable strategy through med school. That's not a sustainable strategy in life at all, right? So a few important questions to ask yourself at any point in your journey, right? One, obviously, like the stats are one thing. Are my GPA and my MCAT scores or my class scores, are they where I want them to be? Mm -hmm. Number two, how do you feel? I think this is an important one as well, because one thing that I realized in my kind of own first, second year journey in undergrad, it was like, I don't know, just the, the... like the the late adolescent energy i could get one and a half hours of sleep and next day i'm alive i feel great i write the exam and i move on yep. now in med school if i don't get like six hours of sleep i'm gonna dissolve <laughs> next week you know like yeah. it it really catches up to you and so better late than never now is the time build those habits figure out what you need to do because one it's going to look good in an application but two it's also going to be applicable to your life and it's going to really pay off for your mcat yeah so being okay with a non-traditional timeline, I think is huge. I think Absolutely. a lot of students feel like they're a failure if they need to take a gap year or push things back. So so just knowing that a lot of students do that. And I was looking at the the data actually uh, that AAMC puts out what they call the MSQ, the, the Matriculating Students Questionnaire, which is a mm. survey of matriculating students. And I think last time I looked at it just recently, and it's data from 2020, I believe, Um, the percentage of students who have taken a gap year for one reason or another is the majority of students. So there you go. There, it's the the non traditional, as they say, is the, is becoming the traditional. Now there are mm-hmm. lots of reasons why students take gap years, um, and and taking a gap year by itself isn't a quote unquote good thing. It's what are you doing during that? So there, there's really no judgment on the gap year other than what what are you doing. Mm-hmm. So that that I think is the biggest probably takeaway from this episode of the MCAT blueprint by blueprint MCAT is is really just knowing how to constantly reflect and check Mm -hmm. in and go am I still on the right path am I still ready to take this after four semesters five semesters whatever it is or do I need to for whatever reasons whether my health is being uh, compromised whether my stress is whatever life life happens happens, right Um, and, and knowing that it's okay 
and and don't worry about what Sally's doing or Johnny's doing. Let them do their thing. Focus on you. So that's yeah. that. I think is going to be the biggest takeaway for uh, the the second edition here of of the MCAT blueprint. And the the next thing I want to talk about, probably something we should have talked about for first year students, is that cars section. You mentioned you mentioned a lot of people say you can't really study for the car section, but there are mm. things that you can do oh, yeah. to improve your car score and your overall MCAT score. Because don't forget, the MCAT is mostly a test of critical thinking and analysis. And mm-hmm. I think we've proven that over the the course of doing the full-length exams and the half-length diagnostic here on the MCAT podcast. I am many years removed from this this content, and I'm still getting a lot of questions right, if not the majority of questions right, because I can think critically and go, "Eh, that doesn't sound right. Or the way that they're asking this makes me think that this question or this answer is not right. And so let me me think through this. And a lot of times I can get 50-50 with no knowledge of anything else. So what can a, a second year student be thinking about in terms of, or what can they be doing to improve that critical thinking, the, that reading comprehension? This is a great question because I think, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can can relate to this at home, but for a lot of people going into the MCAT, I think the first and most important thing to do is to approach cars with a growth mindset, right? I think a lot of science students come into cars and there's a stereotype, there's this like, I don't want to call it a rumor, but this is belief that goes around that's like, hey, science students can't read, you know, or like, (laughs) oh, like cars is the most difficult on the MCAT, right? If you start with that mindset, it's going to be the most challenging. You're going to have the most anxiety and it's going to be very difficult for you to learn logic because you're shooting yourself in the foot. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're saying, I'm going to have a tough time with cars. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to have a tough time with cars. So, this is something that I learned all my second time. I was like, it's literally just reading, right? <laughs> the other thing to appreciate is that good test takers, the logic that they have in their mind isn't magical. You know, even if they can't quite explain it, there is a process behind it. I know like, as you mentioned, sometimes it's just about you're reading a passage and something just feels right. You're like, oh, like from what I understood, something just feels right. But there is a logic to it, right? Standardized tests ask standardized questions in the sense that there's a style of question that they'll ask. There's a style of wrong answer that they'll throw at you. There's there's standardized distractors that they'll throw at you. And so what we do, especially in the live course, and like even now when I'm looking back at, you know, Blueprints curriculum, comparing it to what I did in my own prep, I'm like, I really wish I had known some of this stuff earlier because I feel like it would have made my prep so much easier. Mm -hmm. It also would have brought me from, so for, for, for context, uh, my, Full lengths were all around 128s to 129s. But then on the first time that I wrote the CARS exam, like I said, panicked, right? I saw the exam. This is also, it's as much of a mental endurance game as much as it is reading comprehension. I, like panicked, six minutes had gone by. I'm halfway through reading the passage, freaked out, hit the panic button. I was way behind timing. Um, and then like, I just, I, I shot myself in the own foot because I was like, oh no, it's happening. Like, uh, this is the toughest section. I'm a science student and I'm struggling now. Like I need to, I need to blaze through these paragraphs so I can catch up. So I basically threw out three or four passages just by skimming, skimming the questions, literally not knowing what was yeah. going on. By the time I relaxed, it's like, it's too late. You've already thrown half. The exam, right? <laughs> so I wasn't surprised at all by my 124, but it's like, okay, calm down. Second time it was literally like, look, I'm just reading. That's all I'm doing. I'm just reading. And then you go in, you're like, okay, well, maybe I don't understand the logic yet, yet, keyword yet, 
How can I improve it, right? Are there certain styles? Are there certain patterns? Are there certain formats that I can recognize? Are there certain approaches that authors like to use? Are there certain structures that I can learn to appreciate and recognize? Like there's a logic to it. And so to circle all the way back to your original question of what people can do now, just read and read for the fun of it. Like read passages, whether it's like a a dry, flowery philosophy passage, right? Read passages about architecture that describes literally paint drying on a wall. Like (laughs) you need to convince yourself that it's one, it's interesting to read. Mm -hmm. One, you know, when you're reading for leisure, it's different than reading to take a test, right? Yeah. Read for leisure and try to identify the two key things that from every car's passage, you always want to know. What is the main idea, right? What was the author's point? Why did they write this passage? And what was like the general tone? You know, like, uh, how did they describe it? Uh, did they use support? Did they use examples? Something that I really love teaching in the live course is like classifying information as you read it. I call it like meta narration, right? But we do a lot of this in highlighting in our lessons and stuff, but it's ultimately in a paragraph, in a given paragraph, there's usually only no more than one or two ideas for that paragraph. And that's like a central theme for that paragraph. And the rest of it's like, okay, well, here's the idea here's an example, here's the definition, here's a contrasting example. You can literally label everything that you read. It fits together for a reason. The paragraphs are organized in a way for a reason. Mm -hmm. So if you do this exercise just at leisure for a bunch of different paragraphs, like, okay, this was an idea introduced, that was an explanation, this was a counterexample, that's just some like final concluding remarks. Mm -hmm. What was the main thing from this paragraph? Next paragraph, do the same kind of analysis. Next paragraph, same kind of analysis. And at the end of the entire passage, be like, okay, well, the general idea was X, Y, Z, one or two lines. And then the author seems pretty in favor, pretty like against it, seems pretty confident, doesn't seem pretty confident, whatever it may be, right? But if you do that from an early point at leisure, you're training yourself to do reading comprehension. Mm -hmm. The whole point of comprehension is here's a bunch of text on the page. Can you figure out what it's about? That's all comprehension is, right? It's just reading. You know how to read. It's about like refining it to the logic of the MCAT where they want you to notice certain things. That's something we teach all the time in the live course, but it's also something you can do at your own, like um, at home. If you start to learn these patterns, if you start to recognize what to look for, it becomes a lot easier to understand how CARS works. So I'm glad we went a little bit deeper than just read. It's mm. it's think critically as you're reading and, and mm-hmm. kind of check in with yourself. Along those same lines, when it comes to the MCAT, one of the biggest mistakes, we talk about it all the time, is students do too much content review mm. and not enough questions. Oh, yeah. Should QBanks start coming into play as a second year student? This is a good question. I mean, I think this comes back to the idea of active recall, right? So my recommendation in uh, the live courses is always, you know, you learn it the first time you watch the modules, then you go to flashcards, but to complement flashcards, you also do questions, right? Because the questions, it's not just definition example. It's like, here's a new scenario. Can you pull out what's actually important here? And so I would say QBank questions for anything, even for general learning for your undergrad courses, if you have access to QBank questions, that's why, you know, when you learn in your calculus class, you have textbook and homework questions. That's like, in a way, kind of like QBank questions, because it's a, you're learning it, you're recalling it, and now you're applying it, right? So if you're doing your MCAT prep, I would definitely recommend 
look at the kind of the questions that you have or look at the content first, try to understand it, you know, close your eyes, actively recall it, and then dive straight into the relevant QBank questions because now you're building those neural connections. You're building your comp, like your, your, your content retention. And then the next step from there is integrating it with passages and like, you know, application. But the first step is you need the foundation. Once you have the foundation, you can learn about how to actually connect the dots. So if you have access to QBanks, like whether it's alongside your courses or alongside other things, I would highly recommend incorporating it as a form of active recall to really reinforce the learning and to really reinforce like, yes, you've seen it. Yes, you understood it. But now can you pull it back from memory when you need it? Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things is starting to learn because I think a lot of the MCAT is how well can you do on the MCAT is starting to learn the styles and techniques Mm. of the passages and the questions and the answers and how they formulate those things. Cause mm-hmm. they, they've probably written, you, if you think of all of the years that the MCAT's been around, they've probably written like a million questions. Yeah. It's impossible to, to come up with a, a million different ways to ask the, a, an amino acid question. And so oh, yeah. you start to see patterns and you start to understand, right? It's like Neo in the matrix. When you start, you start to see it and you're just like, ah, <laughs> um, the, the ability to start to understand and go, okay, uh, even kind of rewinding, going back to first year in your, your gen chem or whatever classes you're starting to learn amino acids in mm-hmm. is, is okay. I'm learning amino acids. I have my textbook next to me, my MCAT textbook. I can see the type of information that the MCAT wants me to know, right? Confirmation and acid base, like charge, whatever. Um, And then let me go to the next step and go, okay, here's how they ask an amino acid question on the test. Mm. Here's another way they ask it. And so that when I go and continue to learn about amino acids, I can think about, okay, I saw that type of question where they ask, again, this kind of 4D way of coming in to to the the knowledge they want me to know, but different ways of getting at it. I can then start to think about those things as I'm reading and and reviewing content. Mm, Absolutely. And I think like, even if we circle back to this idea of, you know, content application strategy and all that, if we think math, right? We, We were talking earlier in the last episode about how physics, it's like, how much physics do you actually need to know? Do you need to know deeper stuff? Do you need broader scope stuff? For MCAT math, a lot of the times they'll throw like a novel equation at you, but it's about understanding like proportionality, for instance, not as like, what do you actually do with this formula? So yeah. a, a quick example, I remember there's this one, I think it was like a Beer-Lambert law. And it was like, the answer choices were, how would you change like the absorbance? So it's one way you could change the absorbance. And there was literally only one answer that actually could work because the other yeah. three were like constants. So it has nothing to do with like you were given the equation in the passage. Yeah. You're given all of that in the passage. But n- realistically, all you needed to know was A is a constant, B is a constant, C is a constant, D is the only one that changes. Like I don't yeah. need to know anything else about this equation. That's a critical thinking skill, right? Yep. It's like understanding proportionality as opposed to memorizing the Beer-Lambert law. So it's it's an application exam as much as it is about just like having content. Yeah, same, same thing with units. As, yeah. as I've been covering Huge. lots of these full-length exams, the, the answer it seems to a lot of times come down to, you could answer that just by looking at the units of each looking answer. Looking at the units. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. So it's it's huge, and that's that's where the critical thinking comes into play. The the, the test writers know that there are going to be students who waste five minutes trying to calculate yeah. the the equation and, and get oh, an yeah. answer. And they know that the ones who get the 515s and 520s will look at the question going, oh, I can just figure that out by the units. Uh, it's B. Yeah. Like B, C, like A and D, those are ridiculous. That yeah. couldn't be right. B, C, yeah, B is probably closer to like physiological conditions. Really. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do a little recap here. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so being able to know when to step back and go, am I on the right track? Should I keep pushing forward or should I kind of recalculate my, <laughs> like, like, uh, the GPS rerouting, rerouting. Um, so, possible. so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Make a U-turn run far, far away. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Um, or, or do that. And that's okay too. Right. If you, if you come to the realization that you're not doing this for you anymore, you're doing it because mommy and daddy want you to be a doctor. I yeah. literally was at a, a conference last week. Uh, number one, I got to meet Sanjay Gupta. So that was awesome. Uh, but, but number two, I talked to a physician who was there and he's no longer practicing, not because he wanted to be a podcaster, but because he realized that he was only being, uh, he only went to medical school so that his parents, literally he told me, so my parents wouldn't have a mental breakdown. They were so yeah. invested in him being a physician that he knew or, or felt that they weren't going to do well if he said, no, I don't want to go to medical school, right? So uh, hopefully your parents uh, can be okay with you going, you know what, mom and dad, I don't want to be a doctor. I'm sorry to disappoint, but I'm going to go do whatever. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go be a Bitcoin man. Uh, so uh, Bitcoin bro. Um, so, so that's the first thing, right? Second yeah. thing, lots of cars, uh, understanding, preparation, learning that stuff. Third thing, practice questions, knowing those questions and, and looking at those. Is there anything else as a second year student besides all the normal stuff we were talking about as a first year student that they should be continuing to do? Maybe not necessarily continuing to do, but like apart from everything that we've mentioned earlier, but I think this just occurred to me because it was something that really mattered to me and I think really paid off in my own journey as a student and as ultimately like an instructor. One of the highest forms of learning is teaching. Yeah. So I would recommend if you have the ability and you're interested or even like if you're open to it, I would highly recommend trying it in the sense that if let's say you did really well in first year Gen Chem, I promise at your university, they have academic mentoring centers, mm -hmm. they have tutoring services, they have XYZ services where you can take that knowledge that you've taken, like you've, you've gained, and then reapply it to one, benefit others, but then two, solidify it, right? So I taught like, I think straight out of my second year, I did second year and third year and in fourth year, I taught. So mm -hmm. second year, third year, I think I taught like uh, gen, gen chem. I didn't, I didn't yet do orgo chem, so I couldn't teach orgo chem. I did gen chem, uh, cell bio, organismal bio. Um, and then in third year, I added on some more because like I was like a residence don. So it was like similar to like, you know, they might call them residence advisors, mm -hmm. community advisors, you know, you live in the residence with the students. Yep. Um, and so I was like, I had a specialized purpose where I didn't have to do rounds and like look after people going to parties and stuff, but I would organize office hours, study groups, because like the building specifically was for STEM students. Yeah. So the science kids, the engineer kids, like all of this group, the mathematics kids, we would do, I would literally go to the common rooms and we would just do gen camp together, I'd go to the common rooms and we do like biochemistry together. And so if you take that opportunity, one, it's going to look great on your CV. Two, it feels amazing to teach, right? This is part of the reason why I love doing it. Seeing my students start off with a concept and being like, 
no idea what's going on to the point where it's like you see the light click in there like something just lights up because it clicks i think that's a magical moment and something that's so rewarding to be a part of so if you have a chance try to take on a teaching opportunity to one solidify your own understanding two maybe it's like a lucrative side hustle and three it'll pay off in the long run because it helps you to retain information it helps you to learn material you really need to understand things at a higher level to explain it to someone else and maybe even consider explaining from different perspectives like i remember i was explaining vesper theory to someone we'd sat there for half an hour and we gone through just talking about the concept to drawing it out to like modeling with my hands and at one point like you can tell when a student's like does this make sense they're like like okay like you can tell it doesn't make sense right you can tell it doesn't make sense and i'm like okay we're way over time but i literally grabbed the pens and i was like listen if you have four things you know if you have four things they're going to try it's going to be a tetrahedral like they're going to be as far apart as possible (laughs) and you could just see it in her eyes she's like like oh my gosh like i get it like two things like this three things 120 four things it's like curved a little bit it just clicked and then she modeled it back for me and i was like I felt so good that night. I stayed an extra hour. You know what I mean? Like if, <laughs> if you look at the grand scheme of things, like am I supposed to stay the extra hour? Not really. But I felt good about it. She learned about it. She followed up later and she's like, hey, I did really well on my Gen Chem exam. Like I really appreciate that you shared this with me. And I was like, it's all you. Like I'm, I'm happy that I could share this experience with you, but it was all you, right? If you can put in the time to teach something, it will be so, so worth it, both for your own benefit and for the intrinsic benefit of just doing it because it's, it feels good. Yeah. I, I even saw several years ago, there was, a, again, another kind of pre-med YouTuber. I don't know if she was a medical student at this point and she was studying for step one. Mm. But she a, had a setup where at her kind of small dining room table, she had stuffed animals sitting around the table and she had a little whiteboard and was teaching the animals the, I love it. the, the information she needed to know. So if for, for people who are introverts or are scared to kind of go out and do that, there are ways to teach uh, so that you're trying to actively recall this stuff and, and teach it to someone else without actually teaching a real-life human being. Absolutely. And there's a certain point where you might be teaching it and you're like, this doesn't really make sense. <laughs> exactly. And then you have to take a moment to like go yeah. back and be like, okay, what actually went wrong? Let me refine it. But you wouldn't know that otherwise because if you're just looking through the notes or you're watching the videos, 99% of the time you're probably sitting there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great, great. Got it, got it, got it, got it. But when you actually need to like recall and integrate and apply it, that's when you're like, oh shoot, like I actually don't understand this 100%. Let me go back and fix yeah. it. And that's what's going to be useful in the end. I wonder if any of those stuffed animals got detention for acting out in class, passing notes. <laughs> yeah. wonder if any of those stuffed animals made it to med school. <laughs> Stuffy sessions. School is in session. <laughs> awesome. All right. So second year, kind of a lot of the same things for first year, all those habits, Absolutely. all that good stuff is the, the mm-hmm. one with, that we led with. Mm-hmm. One thing that we haven't mentioned, kind of going along your timeline that we had mentioned first year sure. of ideally best case if you can take that mcat the summer after your second year is well they have to register for it right and so the the registration timeline so let's kind of take a step back and look at registration timeline Mm. for the mcat if a student is going to take the test Let's let's use uh, 2025 as the, the, the date I always pick. But sure, we're sure. coming on that real soon. I'm going to have to go out to 2030, and that's going to make me feel even older. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the student, their summer after second year is that summer of 2025, mm-hmm. 
registration for those dates is kind of like the very beginning months of 2025, if I ideally, remember ideally, correctly. So typically the AAMC will announce dates and then they'll have a registration open kind of at the end of 2024 for those, for those first few months of 2025. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then those later months of 2025, there's usually another kind of registration date for those. So students really need to start looking out for MCAT registration dates early. And that's like, yeah. that's scary. That's very scary. I would, I would say, cause it's like, you technically can probably sign up still. I think it's like even a few weeks out, you can sign up for your, like, uh, an, if an there are spots. Test. Yeah. But that's the key. Yeah. <laughs> there's spots, right? If there's so, spots. In the example, like where I wrote in Ottawa, there's only a handful of testing centers. Mm-hmm. I booked mine probably. So I took my exam in mid-August. Mm-hmm. My buddy and I, like we both went like uh, pre-med route. He went to UBC. I went off to University of Toronto. Um, but we planned, we signed up for NCAT, I think February, would have been 2019. I think February 2019 for an August, mid-August 2019. Okay. It was very like, you don't you don't necessarily have to do it that far in advance. But if you do it that far in advance, one, you commit to a timeline to say like, yes, I need to buckle down. I need to build those good habits. I need to study for it now because I know that that's going to be my test date. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to plan it so that once I'm done my test date, I can live my life again, right? So that's the one advantage. The second advantage, just like you said, if there are spots. One thing that I've seen time and time again is that test centers will fill up And if you, let's say, live in Ottawa like me and you're looking to write at the test center, you book, you know, a month out in advance. If there's no spots, you're probably driving to Montreal or you're driving, you know, five hours to another city, to another test center. That is a lot to handle, like just physically, emotionally and mentally in terms of stress to like get your butt to another city and then write an exam at 8 a.m. in the morning or something. Right. So, yeah. And, and oh, by the way, when you sleep in a new place, your body does not like that. And your no. your sleep is not good that night. Yeah, absolutely not. So yeah. try to plan that ahead for sure. All right. Well, George, uh, last episode we covered first year. Second episode of the MCAT Blueprint by Blueprint MCAT, uh, we covered second year. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do a few more to to get people kind of through that MCAT test day of what they should be thinking about and how they should be going about their planning. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for having me as a part of the MCAT Blueprint by Blueprint MCAT. <laughs> so it's been a lot of fun. Um, as always, it's a lot of pleasure to kind of share these like these little tidbits. But uh, for all of our listeners at home, wishing you the best of luck. Keep up the good study and keep up the good work in your undergrad. Put your best foot forward. Keep building those good habits. And maybe one day I'll see you around. Maybe on a ward. Maybe wherever. Like yeah, we'll we'll like interact in in the world of healthcare. But best of luck in all the endeavors, and we'll see you next time. All right, there you go. Some second year MCAT prep. This is our MCAT Blueprint series with Blueprint MCAT. Don't forget to check them out, blueprintmcat.com, and use all of their amazing free resources, including including an amazing study planner tool, full-length one from Blueprint MCAT, the half-length diagnostic from Blueprint MCAT, their amazing flashcards that they have with their spaced repetition platform, And also, don't forget to check out their live online course with an average 15-point increase from diagnostic score to real tests for people who have taken their live online course. Go check it out, blueprintmcat.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast.
This is MedEd Media.